In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this Sunday, I often say, is uh, an end that is also the edge of a beginning. The end that's an edge of a beginning. This is the last Sunday after the Epiphany, and we're also just on the cusp of Lent. So Epiphany Tide is this season of manifestations or revelations or showings of Jesus' glory. And today is the culmination of that season. So we began with the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan and the voice, very similar to the one that we heard today, the voice that comes from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Then the call of Nathaniel, whom Jesus somehow sees um, sitting under a fig tree. And then Nathaniel's response Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. We've come through healing stories, the deliverance of the man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Last week, Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law from a fever. And then today, the transfiguration. A while back, someone surveyed school children and asked them why they liked... uh, Harry Potter books and movies so much, and the most common answer was because you never know what's going to happen next. There's this sense of of a thrill, there's suspense in every moment of the journey, and that's how it is for us through Epiphany. And so today, when we look at the story of the transfiguration, this climax of Epiphany, I want us to see three things. First, the mountain. Secondly, the motion. And then finally, the mission. The mountain, the motion, and the mission. First of all, the mountain. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So just picture that scene. Uh, in, in Luke's account, the disciples are asleep, so maybe it's nighttime, uh, and they're jolted awake to see Jesus talking with two men. Both of the men are Old Testament Giants. They both, uh, they both died or disappeared, rather, under mysterious circumstances. They were legendary figures. There is Moses, the great lawgiver, who had climbed Mount Sinai to meet with God. He had walked into the cloud and the storm and come down the mountain with the tablets of the law. And then there is Elijah, the great prophet. Uh, uh, the, the prophets, by the way, were not fortune tellers. They were God's mouthpieces. They were electric with the words of God, always speaking God's words for him, calling the people back to the covenant that they were constantly breaking, constantly forsaking. And so Elijah was famous for having confronted false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal. He uh, defeated in devastating fashion in 1 Kings. 
And these two men stand with Jesus now on this mountain. Why? What's going on? Well, N.T. Wright, in his little commentary on Mark, says that all through the gospel so far, Jesus has been taking his disciples up, metaphorically taking them up on high where they can or should be able to see. He is giving them a new view, a new perspective on the kingdom of God, about what God is up to. And now, in this scene, he takes these three disciples up a literal mountain to see, to get one last great glimpse under the veil of the ordinary, to see what Jesus has been up to all along. Bishop Wright says, that's how it was on this mountain. What was the inner reality of Jesus' work? He was continuing and completing the tasks of the great prophet Elijah, and behind him the greatest prophet of old, Moses himself. This is a sign. A sign of Jesus being entirely caught up with, bathed in the love, power, and kingdom of God, so that it transforms his whole being with light, in the way that music transforms words that are sung. This is the sign that Jesus is not just indulging in fantasies about God's kingdom, but that he is speaking and doing the truth. It is the sign that he is indeed the true prophet, the true Messiah. That is what the heavenly voice is saying. Jesus is God's special, beloved son. Elijah and Moses prepared the way. Jesus is finishing the job. That's what the mountain was for. They went up there to, to see, to get, to get a glimpse of the glory. But they couldn't stay. Which is point two, the motion. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain... He ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So, seeing what he's seen, Peter wants to stay. He, he blurts out this plan to build three dwellings, to build three tiny houses, maybe. He wants to, to stay up there and just bask in the glory. Maybe they charge you know, a denarius for people to come up and visit the holy site. But Jesus takes them down. Because for where Jesus needs to and intends to go, the only road is down. It's actually hard for Christians, uh, still even today. I, uh, I just started a couple nights ago watching the two-part documentary, uh, Tiger which uh, HBO billed as a look at the rise and fall and epic comeback of the, uh, the global icon, the golf legend, Tiger Woods. And I'm only halfway through. I've just watched the first episode. So I've only seen the rise and then the first hints at uh, the fall coming in episode two. But I remember when Tiger returned uh, after injury and 
uh, addiction, a very public moral failing, that Nike's first ad campaign for him had the tagline, winning takes care of everything. Winning takes care of everything. And after those ads, um, back in 2013, uh, Nick Lannon wrote a piece for Mockingbird uh, called Tiger Woods, Theologian of Glory. This is what Nick said. Tiger Woods was nothing if not an exiled soul. And Christianity all too often uses the same exiled soul story. That's the glory story. And it simply puts the cross in place of victories on the golf course. Still, though, it is success in one form or another that is required for us to regain our former stature. Woods add posits a thing that you can do to regain your purity. Win. Christianity, as it is often practiced, posits something too. Work hard. Pray hard. Be righteous. And you can regain that close relationship with God that your sinful life cost you. On the golf course, a theology of glory can work in the short term. Win, and the accolades will come back, the money will come back, the sponsors will come back. But where our exiled soul is concerned, it is only the victory, ironically through death of another, freely given, that can offer new life. Peter, St. Peter, had always gotten it wrong. All the disciples had always gotten it wrong. They wanted a Messiah who would come and win. This one came to lose. He came to walk down the mountain, to walk into the fray. H. Richard Niebuhr said that Christians actually prefer that uh, a Christianity where a God without wrath brought man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. But it doesn't work that way. The gospel in this story is the downward motion. That Jesus did not stay above the battle. He came down. God coming down for you. Down into our world, into our violence, our mess, our sin. Down to our cross. All for love. One last point. We've had the mountain and the motion, and then lastly, the mission. Uh, In your bulletin on page 4 is the collect of the day. And it prays, O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed His glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of His countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into His likeness from glory to glory. So they saw the scene on the mountain. They followed Jesus down and now they would be given, these three would be given a mission, much like we are given uh, a mission. Uh, Barclay, William, not Charles, uh, the famous Scottish 
minister and writer said that this scene on the mountain that they beheld, the scene on the mountain made Peter and James and John witnesses. And he says a witness is somebody who first sees and then shows. First sees and then shows. So on the mountain they'd seen this this glory of Christ, a preview of coming attractions, if you will. The glory of Jesus that will one day be revealed. And once a witness sees, she has to show. I said at the beginning that today is a... um, it's an end that's also the edge of a beginning. Today is the end of uh, Epiphany, the season uh, after Epiphany. And then Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, is the beginning of Lent, this season of preparation uh, of, that we go through every year before the events of Holy Week and for the great Paschal Feast of Easter. And in Lent, we take on little disciplines. Little, that they work like little levers in our lives to get grace deep in our hearts. To make us, we hope, just a little more like Jesus. A couple of months ago, I used this little um, uh, devotional call from, Dusk to Tr- uh, from Dust to Triumph. Uh, it's from Neshota House seminary where uh, Justin Tolliver, our seminarian, one of our seminarians is studying where he recorded the gospel for today in beautiful snow and uh, with a powerful beard. Um, And in the introduction to this devotional, it says this, if in Lent we relive 40 days in the wilderness to live the life of Jesus, then Lent might be about something more, even something else, than is often supposed. Our Lent is nothing less than our own preparation to be the children of Abraham, fulfilling the vocation given to his people from the very beginning, to be a blessing to the nations, to put on display the goodness of God, to be a light to the nations Reflecting the light of the world. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to enter into Lent to become epiphanies. To cooperate with the work of grace in our lives and let God make us, each of us, into little glimpses behind the veil of the ordinary. Into what the kingdom of God looks like. We have seen the transfiguration and now beholding by faith the light of Jesus' countenance, the light of His face, we take up our cross and we let Him transfigure us through suffering love and from glory to glory. Having seen, now show. Consider that an invitation.